electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to Power Lunch in progress. Welcome to Power Lunch. I'm Seema Modi alongside Brian Sullivan. Powell saying there smaller interest rate hikes could start in December, but cautioned that monetary policy will still stay restrictive for some time, but markets are responding. Yeah, the markets are right around session highs. We were lower earlier today. All right, there are your numbers. The Dow's up 366, S&P 500 up 2%, but look at the NASDAQ. It is taking off like a dove, yes. I-, I think, Seema, or some faster, stronger bird perhaps. The NASDAQ is up 3%. What was amazing to watch, though, was that, we'll get to the yields in a second, what was amazing to watch, Seema, is right when Steve Leisman came on with the headlines, it's, the market kind of took off, and then Steve said it best. They kind of closed the door. It went more back hawkish. That dove just slammed into a window. But clearly something the Fed chair said is making markets take off. Moderate pace of rate increases. That seems to be the headline from Powell's speech there and what markets are, are listening to. Yeah, moderation apparently is... They like is, that. They, everybody, everything's good. No extreme. In moderation. All right, there's a 10-year yield. Let's, in fact, you know, we just mentioned Steve Leesman, and because the power of video technology, we can actually bring Steve in. Steve, welcome. I, I loved your, your sort of metaphor at the very beginning before we heard from Powell that he slammed the window and had this picture of like a dove hitting a closed window, and then I felt bad for the dove. Um, what do you think yeah. it's what he said that's making the markets react like this, to Seema's point, this moderation I, I, idea? I, I, I would... I'll admit having a hard time with it. Me Look, too. If the market is hearing for the first, if the market's hearing for the first time that the Fed is going to slow rate increases in December, then I, I'm sorry, but I guess I didn't pay attention to the fact that the market was totally not paying attention to that idea that's been out there for a very long time. There's one area where maybe he was a bit dovish, which was this idea that two of the three components that he talks about are causing inflation are coming down. Uh, and he expects them to come down. Those would be housing and goods prices, though he did, as other Fed officials have done, stick to this idea of service inflation coming down. Let me just tell you what's happened. And this is not unusual in the sense of forget what the stock market is saying. Let's look at what rates are saying. And what's happened is um, the market still has 50 baked in for December. Still, I just want to make sure that is still the case while I'm talking, still essentially has 50 or 25 baked in for February, and then it goes on. We're still near that 5% mark, uh, guys, and I think that's the key here. And Powell being very clear, we're going up to a level which we feel to be sufficiently restrictive, and we're going to stay there for a while. I don't walk away from this with any change in my key outlook for the Fed, and that's that they get up around that 5% metric and they stay there for a while. I think that's, if, if I was, if there's anything dovish in this thing, I'd say, you know what? Maybe it's more of a 450 call. If it was hawkish, I'd say it's a 550 call. I'm still at that 5% range. I don't see anything in here that should cause the market to think it's substantially less than 5% and substantially less for a while. 
All right, Steve, stick around. Let's bring in Randy Krosner, a former Federal Reserve governor. He's currently a professor of economics at the University of Chicago's Booth of School of Business. Randy, welcome. Uh, in addition to Powell indicating that the Fed may be slowing down its pace of interest rate hikes, he also says that there's a chance that the decline that we're seeing in job openings may not lead to a steep rise in the unemployment rate. So he's hopeful that he can have the immaculate disinflation. Uh, that is that uh, what we can do is bring Good the one. Uh, inflation rate down uh, without having the unemployment rate go up very much. We've never done that before. I don't want to say it's impossible, but I wouldn't say it's very likely. I do think the labor market at some point will crack. And and basically, Powell kind of said that. Jay said we really need to see some of the, the heat come out of the labor market. So I think they've been very optimistic to say that mm -hmm. peak unemployment rate is going to be no more than 4.4%. I think much like I, I very much agree with Steve that I think the Fed is going to end at uh, with a five handle on uh, interest rates. And I think the, um, uh, the uh, unemployment rate is going to be above 5%. Yeah, Randy, I mean, OK, 5%. And then I guess the next question is for how long? Because 5% itself is one thing. 5% for five years is a totally different animal. <laughs> so I, I don't think it's going to be five years, or at least I'm hopeful that it's not five years. But I do think it's going to take a while for inflation to come down, really for the, the reasons that Jay Powell was talking about. I mean, we're starting to see some come down and uh, step down in rents. But the way we calculate um, the housing services part of the, uh, of the inflation indices it has a lag in it. So it's looking at not only rents today, but also rents that have been negotiated over the last few months. So that's going to take a while to come down. And we've seen a lot of pressure in the services sector uh, because there's such a hot labor market. And it's going to be a while before uh, the, um, uh, the wage rates start to come down. So that's why I think it probably be most of 2023 before we see inflation starting to come down, but for something that Mr. Putin might do or some other geopolitical shock. So I'm putting those aside for the moment, but obviously there's a, there's a risk that something could go wrong somewhere in the world. Yeah, barring those external shocks, Steve, uh, mm. Powell seemed to suggest that a soft landing is still achievable. Yeah, yeah and first of all, I would like to give uh, Randy Krosner publicly points for the concept of an immaculate disinflation. Um, I don't know, Randy, if you take points over Zelle or over PayPal or whatever, but I'd like to send you a few. And, and the idea that, that Powell thinks he can achieve it. But here's the key thing, I think, to come at that, which is, I think, an answer to Seema's question. Powell would love for that to happen. He's been talking about this, by the way, Seema, for a long time. They can bring down job openings without increasing unemployment. That's possible. But the thing that I think you need to hear Powell saying as well is he's willing to do it in an unimmaculate way. He is willing to allow the unemployment rate to drift higher, expect it to drift higher, and indeed, if you read this speech with a hawkish squint in your eye, you would understand that Powell doesn't really see a way of bringing down inflation without serious uh, uh, slack being created in the labor market. He said that the labor supply problem is not going away. It's not going to fix itself. Retirees continue to leave the labor force at a fast rate. They ain't coming back. We have an immigration problem, which we've been talking about. By the way, there's a long footnote in his speech about the immigration problem. And Congress is not about to solve that as far as I know. So therefore, the only way to solve that problem is for the Fed to create the slack in the labor market because it's not coming from the government. It's not coming from supply. 
Let's bring in another voice here, Rick Santelli. No, hold on, uh, Randy. We're going to kind of just expand this till we hit the octobox. That's TV inflation right there. Uh, Rick Santelli, let's bring you in. Somebody got in my ear and said, you don't believe the market is reacting necessarily to what he said as much as maybe what they don't believe. Yeah, no, not necessarily. I 100% think that the market is not listening or on the same track with what many of the Fed officials think inflation's going to do or they think rates are going to peak. And 20 minutes before this speech began uh, at 1.30 Eastern, uh, I know you read the blast I sent out. Uh, every trader I talked to pretty much uniformly agreed they were going to wait right till his uh, text was released, and then they were most likely going to reverse the trends of the day. They just don't see the future in the same way, and they look at much of what the chairman is saying is kind of covering his butt in the future. That if inflation ends up moving lower than he thinks, he looks fine. If it moves higher than he thinks, he looks fine. But that's not the way traders think. Traders are in it for the money. Yes, they're in it for the money. And the money is, if you wait until that chairman says it's all clear, we've beaten inflation, there's going to be no money left to get. So, Randy, back to you. I mean, is the market getting this wrong? Is their perception of what Powell said wrong? Well, I think uh, they don't want to believe. I mean, I think Jay has been very clear starting at the end of July, and the markets kept saying, no, 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 he can't really mean that. He's really not going to resist. And finally, like in Jackson Hole, he ripped up the regular speech and said, okay, I'm just going to say one thing eight times in eight minutes, and that's we're going to keep at this thing. <laughs> and the markets are still not really fully willing to accept that. And I, so I, I think they're getting closer, and I, I think the markets now think that the, the Fed will get it to around 5%. And I do think that the Fed's likely to end between 5 and 5.50. But hold there for a while. And I don't think they understand that the Fed really does have to see the labor market crack. They have to see the um, unemployment rate go up to feel comfortable that the key underlying source of persisting inflation, wage inflation, what if inflation goes going- down? I mean, come on. Well, what, uh, what about the obvious answer here? Well, then, then, well, then the Fed does less, right? It, Rick? And then we can bring rates down. Steve? No. I was just going to say, Rick, then the Fed does less. I think that's right if it goes down. But remember what, what, what Powell yeah, but, said. Know, I want to get the, the language the exactly right. Investors' worlds aren't centered around the Fed. They're centered around the flows of capital. And the flows of capital certainly didn't correlate with the flows of words. I agree. But but what I was going to say, Rick, is that uh, Powell puts out a pretty strong litmus test here for being convinced about doing less. He says he needs to see substantially more evidence to give comfort that inflation is declining. I'm not sure what that means. I've kind of had in my head the Fed needs at least three months in a row of serious declines in the inflation rate. I, I don't know if maybe he upped that uh, litmus test or made it yeah. a little bit tougher this time around. R- Rick, I think you're right. That it seems to, be, it seems to suggest that what the market is doing is not necessarily a reaction to the words, but they were just kind of waiting to clear a hurdle of potential risk out there before they made a trade and they wanted to trade higher. I, I don't know that, and, and I'll ask you this question, Rick. Are you hearing anybody saying something different from what Randy and I are both saying, which is that we're not changing our view of how high the Fed is going here? From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, 
The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Yeah, they are. They're changing their view. Most traders I talk to think the high yields pretty much on every maturity, maybe outside of two-year notes, are already in. And they're trading it that way. They're waiting for yields to pop, and then they challenge oh, okay. that. They like when I, I got speakers you. grab a microphone. Yes. But, but, Rick, but, Rick, I still see the peak rate in the futures contract for the funds rate trading at 496 that's still darn near 5%. I mean, it was over 5 this morning. It was under 5 yesterday. Mm. It's still centered around that 5%. I look at where rate. the market is right Rick. now. Where the market is right now is yep. all that really matters because the markets that you and That's I are looking saying, at though. that paint that picture down the yeah. road, okay, they're like my watch. They, my watch right now says 20 to 2 Chicago time. In an hour, it's not going to say that anymore. Yeah. And it doesn't okay. mean it's wrong now. Hey, Randy, and it's I'm gonna, wrong I'm gonna, in New York, can I, too. Can we pick, guys, I've got to, uh, by the way, I'm going to hop in a little bit. I've got to go do a 3 p.m. Eastern time CNBC Pro with Leon Cooperman. Tune in on your second screen. So if I just vanish, there you go. Look at that. If I just vanish, Seema, it's not that Seema Threw took you me out. out. I mean, you could. But anyway, Randy, can we get back to the other part of this, which is jobs? Sure. For me, the most interesting thing was sort of near the top. And they went into this idea about COVID and people either early retirement, 4 million people gone, obviously alluding maybe to, to long COVID implications, people retiring early. Listen, let's hope that everybody out there that is suffering gets better that, that, and that COVID slowly becomes less and less a part of our life. But as it becomes maybe less a part of the economic story, too, the job market is spectacularly tight. Jay Powell is kind of rolling the dice thinking this is going to remain this tight for a while. I mean, what if what if people just start roaring back to work because their excess savings have have run out and now now they've got to get back to work. I mean, he's hoping at some point we'll see that that there'll be more uh, labor supply um, and that will help to bring some of the wage pressures off of uh, where they are. Uh, they are right now. Uh, I don't think we're going to see this dramatic shift because I think older workers have just decided it's too risky out there. They've seen too many people be ill and pass away and not be able to spend time with their kids, grandkids. And so I don't think they're coming back in labor market. So I think we're gonna have these relatively tight conditions. And that's why I think the unemployment rate is gonna to have to move up. And I think the Fed's gonna keep at it until they see softening of the labor market. They can hope that the softening will come from more supply, but I don't see that happening. And I don't think he really sees that happening either. I guess the countdown to the November jobs report on Friday. Uh, we'll hopefully get some answers there. Yeah. Randy, Steve, Rick, thank you. Great discussion. 
Okay, it's not all that's going on today. By the way, in a very busy day, you've also got the New York Times Deal Book Summit and co-CEO of Netflix, Reed Hastings, is speaking. Well, let's listen in. Um, you guys, by the way, have not, uh, the Knives Out sequel, uh, Glass Onion, yeah. out in theaters and uh, apparently made a bunch of money. We did. But there's a question, which is to say, should have you gone wider with that? Was there money left on the table? Lots. Uh, lots. Lots. Lots of money left on yeah. the table. How much money do Why you think? Why do you do that? But yes, because, so, because we're interested in customer satisfaction on our service. So with film, we've released it um, typically in film festivals early to stimulate conversation and demand, right? But not to fulfill that demand, except when it launches on Netflix and everybody watches. So our week in the theaters with a small number of theaters has done exactly that. Everyone's talking about it. It's exciting about Glass Onion. It's going to be huge. And December 23rd, the whole world's going to get to see it. And I think it'll be one of our biggest films. And so it's a promotional tactic like film festivals. And <clears throat> if it works well, we'll do more of it. Um, so, but, but is again, there ever going to be a day where... So this, this went to 638 uh, theaters across the country. Which, right, where a big release in the U.S. is 3,000. Right. Could you see a day where you would do a week at 3,000 or two weeks? Two religions, member satisfaction, operating income, you know? So that's what we're focused on. So we use this as a promotional technique so then more people watch it on Netflix because that's member satisfaction, right? We're not trying to like build a theatrical business. We're trying to get people so excited and break through the noise that like everybody's like, oh my God, when is, I, I didn't see Glass Onion that week it was on, um, and everyone's talking about it, when is it gonna come? And it's like, then everyone's gonna watch it, you know, December 23rd. We're talking about live, that's new. That's new. That's new, that's like, more like being TV. I remember when Ted Sarandos famously said, the goal is to become HBO faster than HBO can become us. Well, that, 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 we, that was we back, finished that, that one. That was back in 2013. Oh, you finished that one. Yeah, that, that, that's when we're moving on from there. Look, <clears throat> live's going to be great for us for doing contestant shows, um, you know, comedy specials. We'll experiment with it. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of speculation that we're doing that because of sports. That's not show. Like, we're really focused on series, films, and games, which all have creative risk, right? We have to spend right. 20 to 200 million developing a property, and then sometimes it works great, and sometimes it doesn't. The reason I mentioned the Ted Sarandos quote is, remember, HBO's uh, slogan um, is, it's not TV, it's HBO. Are you trying to become not just HBO, but to become TV? And what does that mean? And the reason I say that is you're going to have this live programming. You're going to yeah. start to have more sort of broader sitcoms. You're going to have more, you know, more what I describe as network sitcoms even, um, procedurals and the like. It's, it's a shift. And I wonder what that brand means uh, to you today as it may have related to what you thought it meant three, four, five years ago. Well, we want the brand to be the most exciting entertainment on earth, the place you go when you really want emotional stimulation. And for us, that's around film series and games. Two of those right. were strong in, one we're just beginning on games. And the fact that people, <clears throat> if you look at the Nielsen data, YouTube on TV is equal to us in viewing. Like there's a lot, that doesn't mean we're gonna get into the user-generated business, right? And then there's sports, right. and there's news. So there's a lot of things on the big screen. But again, what we wanna do is embody the most exciting entertainment on earth, be the best creative company. And that's why Disney is so inspiring to like even be in the same league as them because they're such an amazing creative company. Where are you on sports? We were talking to Jan Jassy, he's doing sports. Apple's now doing sports. No sports for you yet, or at least classically. 
Yeah, I mean, we're really getting focused on, you know, talk to us after we're like a big leader in games. You know, we got a lot of investment to do in games. Um, and what does that mean when you say uh, there's, there's the mobile gaming piece of this? <laughs> you know, you're now partnered with Microsoft. Microsoft now is, is selling a, X, Xbox streaming where you can actually play straight off of a television, ostensibly. Yeah, from the outside, it's odd because, again, we're, we build on Amazon Web Services, right? That's what all those services are based on, and we compete with them. And that's been true from the beginning that we compete with them and we rely on them. And then at Microsoft, we rely on them on the ad sales, we compete with them in gaming. I mean, that's normal. We're, I mean, a rounding error competitor to them in games at this point. Um, but, you know, we are focused, you know, partially in mobile games and we've done some acquisitions there, which is also a new thing for right. us last, you know, three years. And we want to have, you know, incredibly compelling mobile games that are really, uh, most mobile games uh, have a lot of upsell. The monetization strategy is to get you to spend money to get clothing or weapons or these things. And that distracts from the engagement. And our theory is we could build games just around engagement that are like really awesome. But do you anticipate being in the gaming business on TV eventually? Sure, on TV, for, that's just a screen, yeah. And we'll have uh, you know, lots of games that are mobile-based. We'll have some that are TV-based. And you know, the, in the modern world, like Fortnite, it's on all the platforms. Right. So think of it as <clears throat> the screen size is important, but it, you know, it's a smaller distinction. And you know, to a degree, we would have loved, I, I berate our M&A team that we didn't buy Wordle, that you guys bought it. Um, and we would have loved to have that. It would be a perfect mobile game for us. Obviously, you guys have strength in that. Um, and so, you know, again, we'll compete in lots of places. How do you feel about Microsoft buying Activision? I have no, no particular opinion. Fine, we're not involved in it. But you don't worry about, I mean, this, go, this, this is a, a big sort of regulatory question about companies, we were talking to Andy Jassy about this earlier, that the idea of companies that may not actually be in a business, I mean, they actually are in the gaming business already, but may not have an overwhelming stake in a business yet, but are able to use the profits of, of a one side of their business to effectively get into another business. Good, bad thing, how do well, you think about it? society, it's great, because then you get companies that attack each other, um, and that creates lower prices. Think about um, all the companies that are attacking us, right? And that's lower prices for consumers. I mean, that's a big positive. So what? That, that's what you want. Right. You want them to be aggressive, and I uh, think about, uh, Tesla getting into trucking, you know, they don't have to do that, but then, you know, it's like new entrants. So, you know, think of it as when companies get outside of their, think about Mark Zuckerberg. So, you know, I got to see some of your display. I think the world should be saying, thank you, Mark, for advancing this technology. I don't know if it's great for Facebook shareholders. You know, that's debatable. What do you think? He, he thinks that it is. What, what, what do you think? I think I wouldn't bet against him. I mean, it's been an amazing track record that he's had. So it's going to, you know, I think there's good odds for it. Um, but whether it works out or not commercially, it's incredible advance. The technology and the Quest and Quest Pro, are, and, right. and they're really moving it ahead. So <clears throat> that's going to benefit all of us. What do you think about the other part of that conversation was about platforming? Not just platforming people, which is an issue, but platforms like Apple. Um, and we keep talking about it all, all, all day. Uh, Elon Musk has now gone to battle. What do you think of that battle? You're, you've been you know, into that you know, battle, my, too. My answer will make you think I'm obsessed with the New York Times, but you, you and us share the same reader exemption that Apple has, where we can sign up people anywhere and they can consume on the Apple platform uh, without getting taxed. And so, you know, our businesses have a benefit um, that other businesses, for example, Twitter, don't. So it's not a big deal to us. We have never had, we've got great relations with Apple and Google, but it's partially because of the subscription business model that the Times and Netflix have are advantageous. No, but you like to get people to go to the website to subscribe. Correct, and that works well. 
but not through Apple Pay. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. No, it actually works well through uh, mobile. If you do mobile sign up, web, right. mobile web, which is what we do, it works fine. And so <clears throat> we, have, we have no battle. So other people, Spotify, et cetera, have big battles with Apple. We don't. Uh, since you are a Twitter user, I should ask, and you, you're on there all the time, what do you think yeah. of what's going on? I'm excited. I'm excited. Um, Elon Musk is the bravest, most creative person on the planet. I mean, you know, what he's done in multiple areas is phenomenal. Um, you know, his style is different than, like, I'm trying to be, like, a really steady, respectable leader. You know, he doesn't care. <laughs> he's just, like, out there, you know? But think of a guy who's spending $44 billion. He could have built the biggest, he could have built a mile-long yacht for $44 billion, Okay. But it's like not good for the planet, doesn't so he's not interested. He's in for Do you think what he's help. doing is good for the planet? Absolutely. I, I, I'm 100% uh, convinced that he is trying to help the world in all of his endeavors, okay? And he's trying to help the world on that one because he believes in free speech and that's power for democracy and that there's an option. Now, how he goes about it, again, you know, it's not how I would do it, um, but I'm deeply respectful, and I'm amazed that people are like so nitpicky on him. On the, yeah, sure, the blue check mark, he's making a mess of some things or not, you know, but it's like, give the guy a break. He just spent all this money to try to make it much better for democracy and society, to have a more open platform, and I am sympathetic to that agenda. Well, well that's what I was going to ask you about, because Dave Chappelle created some controversy, as you know, on right. your platform, and we were talk we've been talking also about platforming um, sometimes hate speech or anti-Semitic speech or other kinds of speech. How do you think about that today? Yeah. Our brand is trying to be the most exciting entertainment company in the world. And Chappelle is dead center for us. He is the best or one of the best. And that special was one of the most entertaining and watched specials we've ever had. We would do it again and again. So we clearly need to be more uh, obvious and direct about that, which we've done since, you know, with employees and with uh, people who care about Netflix that were about entertainment. Um, and Chappelle's very entertaining and, and you know, provocative. And again, that's, a, that's the core of what we're doing. Right. Um, I want to go back to cost and maybe Ben Affleck. We were talking about how much people are going to spend. And I know you said you're going to spend the same. I wonder whether you're going to spend the same amount of money that you were spending before or even more on the same volume. It's a volume business. Or do you think it shifts to higher uh, cost projects? Um, I'm curious how you think about the success of Shonda Rhimes and the Ryan Murphy deal. I'm also curious what you think of like the Barack Obama, Barack and Michelle Obama deal. Uh, or for example, you have the deal with uh, Meghan and Harry. Those are very expensive deals. I mean, we have some very expensive deals. We have some other deals that are more speculative. We've got a wide range. Um, the show that we just broke is with MGM Television, you know, now owned by Amazon, producing for us. Um, that's uh, Jenna Ortega in Wednesday, uh, Adam's Family Reboot, right. and it's incredible. It's going to be the biggest show. It's going to be in the top three for sure. But you sure. think these big, mega overall deals remain? Yes. Yeah, or there's less of them? As part of the portfolio, overall deals. But as many? <clears throat> I don't know as many. We've got lots, but you, you know that's a it's a very, that's just like a deal structure thing. Are we going to continue to invest in stories that we think can be breakout, entertaining, and, right. and fascinating? Yes. What about the idea of 
uh, not just being a distributor of walled garden, but the idea of being uh, what's described as an arms dealer from the content perspective. Would you sell your stuff off platform? I think Sony is doing that, right? Yep. They're selling to all the streamers, and that's a great business. We're not in that business. We're in the business of building amazing shows and, and, and films and eventually games and having them for our members. It's a pretty simple business if we do it well. I wanted to open it up for questions. There's a lot of people from the media industry here, um, and hopefully we can get to them. Uh, let me see if we got some hands uh, around. I see one uh, right here in the front. I'm going to go here if we can get that microphone to him, and then we'll see if we can't take We were just listening to Netflix CEO Reed Hastings. Let's bring in Julia Borston. Julia, a uh, ride-ranging conversation there with our colleague Andrew Ross Sorkin. He talked about uh, his support for Elon Musk, uh, the idea that he continues to see M&A activity in the streaming world, and also saying that, that uh, the ad-supported model, it should have been rolled out sooner versus later. Yeah, it's just been fascinating to watch his total reversal when it comes to ads on Netflix. For so many years, he said he didn't think that ads had any place on Netflix. That wasn't what they did. And here today, he continued um, this reversal that he's had over the past six months or so, talking about how he sees such an opportunity not only to serve this unmet need in the marketplace, um, to basically help all those advertisers who haven't had access to consumers because of the rise of streaming, um, but also do so in a way that he thinks is going to be more effective. He also had some very nice things to say about Microsoft, which they chose to partner with as their ad partner, which did surprise many people. Um, he also was very uh, complimentary about um, about Bob Iger. Mm -hmm. um, he said he was ready to be a fundraiser for him, joking um, about or saying that, you know, there was some speculation that Iger could run for president. Um, but he thinks that Disney is going to be a big success in streaming. And he sort of foresees this future where Disney and Netflix are duking it out, Seema. And Netflix up about 9% as part of this broader market rebound we're witnessing right now. Uh, Julia, want to get your thoughts on Meta, those shares rallying along with the rest of tech. CEO uh, Mark Zuckerberg also speaking at the DealBook Summit. That's right, Mark Zuckerberg. He started off the conversation with our colleague Andrew saying he's still very optimistic about the metaverse as a long-term play. He also said, though, it's not just about 10 years from now that capabilities in the metaverse will get stronger in the next three to five years. But he also said that Meta is in a zone where right now they're operating with more discipline, that they've had to pull back and that their operational focus will be on efficiency, discipline and rigor. He said that in addition to the economic downturn, Apple's impact on Meta's ability to target ads, um, remember, of course, they made that change, has been a real limiting factor. And then he spoke about Apple again, this time in the context of questions about Elon Musk's criticism of Apple and the 30 percent fees it takes on, on, on many apps, saying he, Zuckerberg said that Apple controlling the app ecosystem is what he called problematic. Now, Zuckerberg also fielded some, comp some questions about competition with TikTok. He said that Reels has been making progress um, against TikTok and that engagement is going well. He said, my guess is it's a bit better than what people perceive externally. Um, Zuckerberg also weighed in on some of those security concerns about TikTok's Chinese ownership, saying that there are real questions with TikTok that need to be grappled with. Seema? A lot there. Meta up 6.3%. Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. Back to the broader market, which is near session highs. Following comments from Fed Chair Jerome Powell, you'll see the Dow is up over 1%, uh, 366 points. Really, the Nasdaq leading the show here, up nearly 3%. Let's bring in Bill Smead, Chief Investment Officer at Smead Capital Management. Bill, good afternoon. Uh, the message from Fed Chair Powell seems to be that they're ready to slow down their pace of rate hikes, but some would say that 
that may not be the case. What was your read on what he what he shared today? Well, I think he's he's going at, by the seat of his pants. He goes along and they're trying to read tea leaves. And what, what he's saying is that if inflation turns down, they'll take their foot off of the neck of inflation. If you go back and look in the 1970s, that's exactly what the Federal Reserve Board did in the 1970s. They would fight inflation by tightening credit. Inflation would get better. They'd take their foot off the neck of inflation and it would pick right back up again. So, you know, his his problem is that he needs the economy to be lousy. And it's hard for an economy dominated by 92 million people between 26 and 42 to stop doing what they're doing. Yeah, listen, it's a tough balancing act. At the same time, he did say that housing inflation bill that will continue into next year. You've been a big fan of the home builders. What's your your thoughts on this specific sector going to, into 2023? Yeah, it, it, he, he said, you heard him say, we, we have a shortage of houses, right? So what we love about common stock investing is we want to own a business that meets an economic need. There's a huge need and, and he talked about how much prices went up last year. Uh, it, that was a temporary price bubble, but it was not a building bubble. Uh, we're, we're, and people are still in a coma about 06, 7, 8, 9, and the, the, the circumstances caused by that. So I, I'm very positive. If you look at the 10-year Treasury, uh, the mortgage rate should be substantially lower than they are right now, even with what's happened. And, and there's a, a bright future for these companies. It's just we don't know what's going to happen the next six months. And that's not our job. Quickly, can the market end higher from here, go higher from here? Well, th there are lots of bear market rallies in bear markets. And by looking at the abrupt rally in the most decimated tech stocks, that looks a lot like a, a bear market rally. Bills me. We appreciate your time. Looking at the Nasdaq up 3% now, back above 11,000. Thank you for watching Power Lunch. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.